Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name is Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. And we're back today. Um, We've got a new face at MFA. Somebody new for everybody to listen to, since I'm sure everybody's tired of of hearing from me and, and Cameron. Well me anyway. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, we're excited to have Garrett on board. And um, so we, we thought it was a good opportunity today to, to sit down and kind of let him introduce himself. He's done some interesting work through some of his, his graduate research. We thought it would be some good information to pass across to, to our listenership and also kind of kick around well, what his role is going to be at MFA and kind of how that works into the agronomy team. Um, a lot of the testing and trial work that we do as a team. And um, so thought it would be good just to kick it around and have a conversation today. So first off, welcome to MFA, Garrett, and give us a little background on you. All right. Thank you, Adam, for introducing me. You know, I'm Garrett Imhoff, uh, originally from California, Missouri, grew up on a small farm with mostly cattle, but a little bit of cash row crops. And uh, so I went to, went to high school there and then went to the University of Missouri, got a plant and soil science bachelor's and then... Uh, Worked in several different labs there, kind of getting a little bit of research experience from the crop physiology lab to weed science to soil science. Uh, Even worked on Sanborn Field for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then worked with Corteva for a summer, doing a little bit of research in range and pasture. And that's kind of where my journey led me along this path to get a master's. Uh, And then after that point, uh, that summer, I ventured out, went all the way up north to Madison, Wisconsin. I guess go Badgers. I don't know. For those who may or may not be fans. Yeah, well, you're going to have to explain this to me because I don't understand, like, when you get your different degrees at different schools, like, where does your loyalty actually lie, right? So, for some people, they, like, grasp on. They, like, <laughs> hold on to it. And they're like, this is my school while I'm here. Yeah. I Yeah. That wasn't me. I, I, so it's funny you say that because there was one game specifically the homecoming and I'm like, I'm sitting here sorting plants because of the biomass that I just, just get or just gathered. And um, I'm in Moore Hall, which is literally two blocks away from the stadium. And I'm like, I can hear people cheering in the stadium, but I am rooting for Michigan state to beat them. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I'm, like I said, I've, I've always questioned that. I, I never had that problem because I just went to one school. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I went to one school. I'm a tiger through and through. So Yeah. And, yeah, I'd have to say it. I think it just depends on like how well you like your next school. Yeah. And how, how it picks up. Yeah. You know, I, I enjoyed Wisconsin, but I enjoyed all the farmers and everybody outside of the university system. Sure. Um, more so than... Maybe some of the politics and everything that went on. I mean, I would have enjoyed the cheese in Wisconsin more than anything else. But. Yeah. Oh, fried cheese curds. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good stuff. All right. Sorry. I got us way off track. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah, kind of like getting back into the to my master's experience. So, like I said, I was following kind of this range and pasture experience. And what led me on this journey was really the product Proclova, this combination of 240 and floor peroxifen. And so... My master's was really focused in on trying to figure out um, like potential benefits or, you know, kind of the 
the response that we were going to get from this product with mixed stands of perennial grasses and white clover and red clover and, and mixed situations. And so kind of, uh, I guess a good stepwise process. We started out previously looking at just, you know, if we have a, an already established stand, what does that do? Um, so what we figured out just based on cover was that red clover is super sensitive to this product, whereas white clover, um, you know, cover doesn't really change a whole lot. But in my master's, I really wanted to deal with, you know, and delve into the, the yield component because that's really what producers are wanting to get out of this product is that we're getting rid of these broadleaf weeds, but what, what's my return on investment of Am I getting yield back on these legumes or am I dinging them so much that there's there's going to be a problem mm -hmm. um, after I make an application? And so from the grazing experience or experiments and then also the mowing experiments that I did, you know, you're you're going to likely get dinged on yield um, if if you make an application to either red or white clover. There's some specific management kind of situations that make it better or, or worse, um, specifically grazing right before an application um, or mowing right before an application. Um, it helps, but there's also some complexity to that. Um, I wouldn't highly suggest it currently because it hasn't been widely tested, um, but depending on what Corteva ends up putting on the label, that might be something that that helps out with this product but from what i know is that you know you get roughly a anywhere from 50 to 43 percent reduction on legume yield um, when we make an application that doesn't mean that we're getting rid of them but that's that's about what happens yeah even with the species that will be listed i guess as tolerant mm -hmm. yeah well so one thing to really keep in mind is that with this product and what I know of it is that seed bank is one of the biggest factors. If you've got a field where, say you know you've got tons of weeds, say it's like, I mean, it's 60, maybe 80% cover of weeds, but you've got tons of clover of Aspidiza underneath the canopy. And you know that it's been growing in there multiple years where it's producing seed and you get into that kind of repetition of you know not really getting to graze it fully but having a lot of seed production in that field an application of 240 and 4 it's going to rapidly change what that field looks like and really i think a i think a producer would really benefit from that type of application but you know if you're sitting there and you've got a field that i don't know say you just only have dandelions and I don't know. You've been managing really well when it's it's a good established stand. I think that a broadcast application of 240 and fluoroperoxifen or Proclova as a whole is not really the, the option. It's probably best to go out there and spot spray or kind of come at it from a different angle. So Yeah, and so just to be clear and, and step back here, so Proclova is not at this point labeled for commercial use yep. but um this happens i guess with a lot in the especially in the weed science and you two are probably way more adept at this than i am but i'm going to be the one that tries to explain it so please jump in but 
um, as you know, as these products are developed and need to be tested, a lot of times the companies go to universities um, to to test the products. Um, I think I'm just making an inference that that is probably so they have research and data uh, when the product does get labeled that is university based and not Corteva based, for example. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the big thing is a lot of times they have to have third they have to have third party data. Okay. Um to be able to right. you know, back up their back up their sayings when they're trying to make a case for the product. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in this case, that's what you were con- sort of conducting for the possi- possibility of registering Proclova for commercial use, which, you know, to my understanding is still somewhat in the pipeline. Yeah, so that's another big kind of back and forth with Corteva and the EPA. Um, yeah. To my knowledge, hold on to your hats. <laughs> if you've got a Proclova hat, keep it in long-term storage because <laughs> we're like, from my, from the inside source that I have, it's probably going to be after 2024. Yeah. Is kind of the, the idea. Um, it's just not a fast process. Yeah, it's not a fast process, but I think additionally, you know, you know, we have this component of 2,4-D already in the mix, mm-hmm. and we're taking another active ingredient that is already currently being used in other row crops like rice. Um, right. And you, you know, you think about this like they call it the what is it the risk or they're the risk cup. You know, you have so many different actives, and you can have it only over so much ground mm-hmm. before it becomes quote unquote an EPA problem. Right. And so. When you introduce it to so many acreage to a new market, that's where they start to push back a little bit, especially with something that is currently on the market. Yeah. Like 2,4-D. Right. Right. Yeah. Then I think some of it is also just some of the data that they have, you know, it's it's good data. It's just, I think that they're holding off to find or fine tune some of their case to be made. Mm -hmm. So. And so it, it essentially doesn't have any residual control on anything, right? So it's it's essentially a, a contact, I don't know, that's probably not the wrong, wrong word for it maybe, but um, it's essentially a contact killer of anything that's emerged already out there. Yeah. Um, we'll spare the clover, but obviously decrease yield. Mm-hmm. So we'll spare the white clover. Right. You'll spare the white clover. <laughs> yeah. Correct. We have to make sure yeah. we clarify that because yeah. there's a lot yeah. of guys, you know, that well, and I think that's reasonable because for uh, most of our trade territory, or mo- if I think if you interviewed most cattle producers in in Missouri or our trade territory, I think if you asked them what the most beneficial legume is, most guy most folks would say red clover right. as far as tonnage, because it's, a lot of times we're you know, and maybe the, I don't know what their dominant grass species in Wisconsin was, probably not tall fescue if I were to guess, probably brome. So it was kind of a mix between brome and um, orchard grass. Okay. So primarily right. orchard grass was a big, yeah, a big one. But yeah, and it's yeah with red clover, you know, it's higher yield potential. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that that always comes out in the research. Sure. I think it just depends on. Well, and we're also, you know, we're fighting into fight with fescue that you right. that you don't have with brome or orchard yeah. grass. And yeah, so sure. the way you look at it, that, at that yield is, again, that's pounds of forage that doesn't have into fight in it that you're trying to push into that animal as well. And so that's a kind of a different layer of complexity. Yep. But I think that's why a lot of people 
prefer that is that it's a bigger yield. So there's more tonnage that's into fight free, but it's still always a, it's a, it's always a conundrum. I, I don't think, you know, in the row crop world, it's pretty easy. If you've got 25 water hemp plants out there, you, you kind of close your eyes and you can pretty much picture what that's going to look like in four or five years if you don't spray that. Right. Um, I feel like the decision is much more complex in the pasture world mm-hmm. in the fact that there is, there's a much, there's much more of a give and take on those perennial weeds and, and when to step in and make that control measure right. um, than there is in the row crop sense. Yeah. I mean, that's something that my professor actually had did kind of limited studies in Wisconsin with this. There's kind of this breakover point of when we spray yep. and how many weeds are out there. There's kind of this cover breakover between, uh, I think it's higher than 30% lower, somewhere higher than 30 to 40% weed cover is where we, when we make an application, we really get the most benefit out of it. Oh yeah, for sure. But yeah, for those producers that, you know, have a good rotational grazing program, they know what they're doing, they know how to graze Mm -hmm. it and those populations are doing well and they've got a good stand. It's hard to say that this product is really. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's a, the great point is, is management. Go, I mean, we talk about it in row crops too, but management sure. is a huge piece oh of gosh. weed control. Oh yeah. You know, and so, and making those decisions on, are you continuous grazing or are you rotational grazing? You know, yeah. are you clipping or are you not clipping? You know, mm-hmm. just all those different aspects from just stand establishment. I mean, we've talked about it. Fertility, before. everything, every part of everything, whether we put the label on it or not is, is weed control. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, for the kind of hot, humid area that we are at times and the kind of the weather changing as much as, and rapidly as it does here versus up there, there's a lot more at stake with, you know, the way that we manage and the way that we establish these stands, especially looking at yield, pH, all those things that go into getting a good forage stand so we don't have to make an application of herbicide if we don't have to. Right. Right. Yeah. Awesome. You got anything else, Cameron? Otherwise, I'm going to have him go in a little bit too. No. Okay. So let's go in a little bit to your your job title and your role here at MFA, Garrett. Because um, I don't think research agronomist is your title here. New fancy title. I'm, okay. That's. I was going to clarify that. I'm pretty sure that yeah. that wasn't your title, Cameron. That was not so. my title when I was, no. Was <laughs> new. Staff agronomist? I was, a, yeah. It was labeled yeah. as a staff agronomist. We switched it up. It's research agronomist. It sounds fancy. It sounds I cool. I was junior staff agronomist. Sure. We, yeah. we call it we want. That's not my title now, so we can call it whatever we want, right? All right. Um, <laughs> Sorry, good. That's all right. Uh, so, yeah, research, research agronomist is going to be your role here at MFA. So, uh, go in a little bit to, to what you're going to be doing. Yeah, so it's only been uh, just a couple weeks here, so sure, you know. So you, so you're an expert now. That's yeah, I'm good. an expert. That's it's good. only been a few weeks, so I, I've got everything down. Good. Um, but yeah, <laughs> half of those few weeks have been in meetings. So yeah, well. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I've just been trying to really pinpoint it. But yeah, mm-hmm. we'll be primarily looking at variety trials. You know, mm-hmm. really helping out the more story, more corn kind of people. Um, getting some good yield data back so that everybody can make better decisions on the way they place their seeds. And additionally looking at, you know, new products kind of like the pivot bio and the different beneficial type uh, products that are coming to market that 
you know, might be part of our portfolio in the future, yep. that kind of thing. And then, you know, additionally looking at, you know, kind of where we can go as, you know, producers, um, different management techniques, kind of like cover crops. It's one area that we're looking forward to looking into. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll keep you guys up to date and hopefully have a lot of new stuff on the way, but yeah. 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 I, I think he hit the nail on the head. Exactly what he just said is, is really the goal. At least my goal when I was managing it was, especially our two sites that we have at Boonville and outside of Columbia, where we have the 55 acres that we run of small pot research is part of it was, is doing, like we said, third party testing for companies or just doing our own testing for all these vendors that are coming and bringing us products saying, Hey, we want you guys bring these into your portfolio. We do in our own testing on them to ensure that, Hey, is it agronomically beneficial for the producer and how is that beneficial for them? And then also does that fit within our portfolio as a system as MFA to be able to help. But then the other piece of it that I tried to develop is, is yeah, we need to have trials on that, but then we also need to be looking at trying to determine, Hey, what are some things and practices that maybe we can improve on that are already out there or, you know, and better ourselves to be able to teach and help producers, you know, go the extra mile and really add on extra um, yield components to their practices. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what the the approach has been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And my hope hopefully is to, I mean, be a good communicator and also hear, you know, our agronomists that are out in the field. That's, I mean, we obviously can't see everything whenever we're driving to the field and we don't hear all the complaints from where we are here at the corporate office. So without anybody else coming to or sending an email possibly to myself or Doug or anybody else, it's, it's hard for us to help out and make yeah. a difference. If, yeah. Well, and that's, that's a cool thing about, um, about those sites and the, and the kind of the freedom and flexibility that, that you guys have in the fact that, Hey, if somebody has a question or something comes up or, well, let's set something up and try to answer this definitively for everybody, you know? Right. Um, and it, I think all that product testing is important, but also being able to show, show our field staff, um, some of those management implications, you know, maybe a very basic example, but I know you've done, you know, population trials and, and things like that. Just, just showing a, a field rep, Hey, here's what's going to happen or here's what you're going to see at different you know, plant populations throughout right. the growing season. So. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, I mean, one of the ones that, you know, we've kind of built on, we've done a lot of fungicide work the last yeah. three or four years. The one that I mean, we've had um, the last four years is a fungicide timing. I'm um, yeah. just doing the timing study on corn and beans. I mean, we all read the labels and we know that, you know, most of the labels say on corn VT to R1 and on soybeans, really that R2, R3 time frame is the most ideal. I mean, when you do a multi-year analysis from our studies, that it's right in line. And so it's just a right. it's really just reaffirming like, hey, there's a reason that these things are on the label because sure. this is where the actual benefit is from it. And so just yeah. being able to build upon those and just kind of re-help people make sure they understand there's a we have to understand there's a reason why things are on the label, but also understand that when you're looking at your crop. You have to be able to stage that properly so that you can make the timing and the applications at the right to be able to give you that added benefit that 
that maybe you're losing if you're a little too early or too late. Correct. Mm -hmm. I, I think with all the marketing dollars in the past couple of years that have gone into fungicides and like now everybody, I, I think everybody across the board is, is fairly comfortable in saying that, you know, it's like, oh, use this on every crop or, you know, both crops, soybeans and corn and, mm -hmm. but, but staging and, and all those kind of things are critically important to making that successful. It's not as easy as just, oh yeah, spray on every crop. Right. And I mean, so, you know, one of the, and just tying into the fungicide, one of the studies that I've kind of enjoyed looking at and seeing, you know, the last three years since we've doing it is our variety by fungicide study mm -hmm. is because, I mean, we, there's been a big push on fungicides and I mean, fungicides are a great product, but especially in years like, and I know we've talked about in some of the other podcasts, supply issues where we have a supply issue of whether that be money, you know, money to be able to pay for inputs because inputs are rising or even to get the product. Is there some fields that, Hey, we need to hit specifically because we're going to see an added benefit from just based on that variety or that hybrid. And so just having that data alone on our more corn, more soy products is really beneficial to us because we can say, Hey, you know, variety A has a 12 bushel response to fungicide where variety B only has a three or four. Mm -hmm. Hey, you, we, we only got this much fungicide. We need to make sure we're focusing on variety A Absolutely. and not variety B. Yeah. Then maybe relax a little bit with some customers or you can push some others that, you know, maybe they're on the fence about making an application in certain conditions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've always, I, I don't know, I feel like at least in the seed realm, like everybody has kind of has those talking points, right? But they don't ever get followed up on. It doesn't seem like, you know, it's like a response to high management or whatever. You'll see that in like a seed guide, somebody's seed guide or whatever. But mm -hmm. there's never really like an actual recommendation to go along with that. And so I think it's pretty cool that that you can actually have that data and look it up and say, hey, no, this variety does respond uh, more to fungicide right? mm -hmm. so, or some of those higher levels of management. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of cases, that really could be a competitive edge for for MFA really is just the fact that we have the data. Sure. I mean, whenever you say, oh, it responds well to higher management, that that could mean. What does that mean? Yeah, what does that, what does that really mean? For, <laughs> if for I go product? look at it more, does that make it better? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, just, and this can be something that you've seen this year, Garrett or, or Cameron or whatever, but um, what else do you guys have out there this year that's that's kind of looking like it might be interesting? I mean, no. The one that I, I guess, the one that I'm most interested in, we'll see if it's going to be interesting actually when the yield results come out of it. But the one that I'm most interested in is obviously these, I don't know what you want to call them, biologicals, nutrient sufficiency products, whatever we want to call them. Biostimulants, you know, I think. Biostimulants, yeah. whatever, yeah. Um, you know, from that aspect. But the pivot bios, the source by Sound Ag, the nutrition by Corteva, mm -hmm. the. I mean, we could go on and name a bunch of these products that all fall in that same class. It's it's st the studies we have with those products. That's I mean, that's that's what I've we've done the last couple of years and just continue to build on and just trying to get more information on those products. Right. So my like my biggest question with a lot of these products is that like, so they're all associative bacteria, correct? They're not they're not symbiotic in the fact that they're they're not inside of a nodule. 
No, yeah, no, I well, think, yeah. So, so the, the bacteria, most of the bacterials are essentially inoculants to either the plant or the soil. Correct. Um, but there are some others that, like source, like right? Like so, source is a, hard, is, is a hard, hard chemistry. It's an activator chemical. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a living organism product, so. Yeah, so it, it's, hard, it's hard to talk about the group as a whole because... Normal. Yeah, we can't really it's all, it's cast all a broad brushstroke there, right? Um, but but yeah, and, and that's this is where all the press is at lately, right? This is where everybody's advertising dollars have gone to, um, yeah. and I think partially um, the price spike in fertilizer I think has probably led some of this. Um, also, I feel like the price spike in some of the in some of the chemistry has led to some of this because. Uh, Let's be honest for these chemical companies for, for, you know, it, when during these times of higher inflation, I feel like that's cut into them a little bit. And, uh, these are very high margin products for those companies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like very comfortable saying that because we don't produce one. Right. This, I've got, I've got no <laughs> right. stake in this. Okay. Yeah. And these are very, very, very high margin products. If I can create a bacterial solution and dump it in a jug and sell it to a grower that's a fairly high margin product to me mm -hmm. um and, and i think it, it's critical so that creates a lot of advertising dollars and a lot of push from corporate end of side end of things on all these companies and and i right. think it's critical that we look at them and, and i'm i think there's some validity to some and there may not be to others but i, I don't know that anybody has that answer nailed down yet mm -hmm. So uh, I think it's critical to look at, but you've looked at them last year a little bit. Yeah, we looked at them last year, um, and then we also looked at them this year as well. But tell um, me the difference. On the small scale side. I was going to say, tell me the difference. I know you changed some things up when you went to plan out what you were going to look at this year. Right. So talk me through that. So, so like last year, you know, a lot of these products, and this is, this is generalizing quite a bit for a lot of these products, but most of the products you can – generally find some sort of marketing material or some sort of fact sheet, technical sheet that they have on the products that's more or less claiming that they can bring, that they're producing somewhere between the 20 to 30 pounds of nitrogen for the crop Correct. throughout the year. Mm -hmm. Almost all of them have that general sense. Yep. And so last year, last year kind of what we did was, is we set up a study so that we had an untreated check um, with none of these products applied to it at our standard nitrogen rate. And so then we took then we took every single one of these products and applied it to corn and reduced the nitrogen rate within it. So we had a treatment where we had the standard nitrogen rate with the product just to truly see, hey, is there an added yield benefit by adding this product? Then we took that same treat, we took the same product. So in this case, let's just say it's Utricia N, and then took the standard nitrogen rate and took out 25 pounds. Of nitrogen from that application. So instead, say we put out 200 pounds on the standard rate, we put out 175 pounds of nitrogen, and then added the nutrition in at the proper timing from that, with the goal hopefully to be able to see, hey, is that product bringing somewhere between that 20 and 30 pounds? Because if that's the case, you would think that the 175 pounds of nitrogen with nutrition should equal the untreated at 200 pounds. Correct. Um, if it's bringing from that, and so. And we did that with the other some of the other products that we were testing. And I mean, the easiest way to summarize all the data is it was consistently inconsistent. And I mean, 
Yeah. People have heard me talk about these before and talks and stuff. And that's, that's just kind of the saying that I have for these products until I can get a better answer, but they're really, they're consistently inconsistent. Absolutely. You'll have some that do really great and you'll have some that do really well. And then most of the time the data is scrambled and it doesn't make sense. Yes. On trying to determine. And I mean, you think about it, we're dealing with a live, you know, a live product on almost, almost all these. So there's a lot of factors affecting it, right? And yeah, so absolutely. it depends on your weather, um, you know, moisture, all these type of things. And so this year, w- one thing we tried to do a little bit differently, and the only the concern was is last year is is were we getting some of these inconsistencies? Because if you're only bringing down your nitrogen twenty to thirty pounds, I mean, how how often is our standard practice of two hundred pounds of nitrogen? actually 20 30 pounds more than what we probably need anyways right because yeah. as producers and as agronomists and advisors and all that we have grown to where we're trying to not have a nutrient be a limiting factor when we're trying to raise a top crop right and so where where's the balance of hey you need to be putting out 200 pounds of nitrogen well do we really need 200 pounds of nitrogen to raise that top crop or are we saying that because we don't want to have it's risk you know, management? It's risk management, exactly. And so, you know, is it easy to say as a company, hey, you can bring down 20, 30 pounds of your synthetic nitrogen, your urea, your super U, anhydrous, whatever, put this product on and you're still going to be fine? Well, actually, the, theoretically, that's probably truly the case because you could probably actually come down to 180 and still probably be fine most of the years Mm -hmm. you know probably seven ten years you'd probably be fine on your yield so really is there that difference so this year what we tried to do was is we tried to fully ensure that we're going to get nitrogen stress so if we had 200 pounds on the standard untreated then we went all the way down to just 80 pounds 80 pounds and 50 pounds and so really trying to ensure a nitrogen stress, trying to take out the, you yep. know, how much mineralization is happening from the organic matter, all those aspects. So we could see where are these products helping actually produce nitrogen and bring up yield when they're in a nitrogen stressed environment. Yeah, which is their claim a lot of times. And yeah, you're never going to see that when you're when your parts per million of nitrate in the soil solution is high the entire season, whether or not that biological is working. I don't know that you're ever going to see that because the plant's never going to respond. So yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. So are you seeing anything this year with, with some of that stuff or, so, or not? I mean, obviously we have not taken it to yield. It's right. August. We haven't um, taken it to yield. Um, you know, anecdotally, um, I've done some visual <laughs> observations, done some visual observations. I haven't done, it's not, nothing statistical. I haven't done, I mean, I, I haven't had the chance to do it on all replications within. And, you know, so you could run statistics on just the visual op- observations from that. But sure. on our first replication, um, just from what I've seen on the first replication, if you're looking at leaf firing, just, I mean, that's a pretty easy visual observation. Mm-hmm. Um, leaf firing, all of the, the treatments with some of these biological products have less leaf firing than the untreated with just nitrogen. I have noticed that there seems to be one to two less leaves that have been fired. So, I mean, visually it seems like, hey, somewhere there's some sort of interaction that is keeping nitrogen within that plant. Um, Or is it nitrogen in that plant or is there just some sort of plant health 
benefit that we have because at the site that I did this at, we have only had like six and a half inch, except for just the last couple of days where we got two inches of rain up to that point, we'd only had six and a half inches of rain. And so these plants are also water stressed. So is, is there some sort of benefit from those? I mean, yep. is, is it help creating root mass? You know, there's a lot of different aspects. We don't know what some of these products are doing. Yeah. So is that also part of the case? Yeah. And then one of the other observations is I did a quick, you know, <laughs> yield estimate by, you know, doing doing some ear counts in the plots, trying to get, you know, just, you know, using, utilizing a yield estimator um, by kernels around, you know, kernel rows and then kernels up the um, cob and really... You know, it's, it's hard to tell some of those yield. There's so many different yield estimators out there, right? And yep. trying to determine which one is right and which one's wrong. I used a couple. I, I, I did enough ear counts to try to use a couple of them and then average those out just to see. And when I come out with that average, it seems to be that we're looking at, at least in this year, it looks like maybe it's going to be somewhere around a 15 to 20 bushel increase with having these products. On the lower on, on the lower end, yeah. yes, on the lower end spectrum. So on the eighty and fifty pounds of nitrogen only, um, seeing that yeah. bushel increase, not necessarily when you have your running your standard practice Correct. nitrogen rate. So, Correct. And so by we'll, doing, yeah, doing that, you're just trying to figure out which ones maybe are more consistent, and then exactly we can expand and test those a little further, whatever. Exactly. Maybe even find like kind of a breakover point, more or less. Right. Like, what right. what, are, what nitrogen are we really wanting to target? Right, versus right. also applying this yeah. product. And so you know, I know you use the phrase consistently inconsistent. And so I, I think that's that's key when looking at these because they almost every product that I think we've seen or looked at probably works in some field in our trade territory, right? Absolutely. And so I think placing these products is where these companies really struggle. We can all go find a field that it worked on take a nice social media picture yep. and start an advertising campaign. Right. Well, I mean, that's, but it's, it, that is, that is significantly different than selling it to every producer out there saying this is going to work for you. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think that's very, I think that's a very great way. I mean, three, I guess it was three summers ago. We did, we had 50 large scale trials of source mm -hmm. sourced by sound ag, um, just out large scale trials. So 20 acre trials out on a farm. Well, this was the first year they brought the product to us and they wanted to test. And so we just had a shotgun approach on placing these fields, right? We said, you know, we sent, we asked our agronomist out in the fields, hey, can you help us find fields that we can put this on? Shotgun approach to spread out. And we had, again, incons inconsistent results on which fields did it shine. I mean, some of them we had 20 bushel increase on them. Yeah. And then some of them we had completely nothing or you mean you saw a little bit of negative impact but i don't really think there was a negative impact from that it's just the way what just the way that you know yeah. things work there was just no difference but if you went back and i tried to go back and look at and see why why was there so much inconsistency and if you look at if you try to look at the soil test results uh, you know, try to get some background data of some of those soils and some of those fields, you can kind of see, hey, you know, maybe some of these soils that aren't necessarily in the best of shape, maybe that's where they're shining a little bit better than somebody who has a good, you know, high yield management already from that aspect. And so there's a lot of different idiosyncrasies 
of trying to get an idea of how do we make these products fit and where so that we can push them to the next level. Right. Because in the agronomy side of things, or at least how we operate, like that's what we want to know. It's like, show me which grower this is going to work on. And then I, I want to take that to him. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, or whatever. So that, I think that's, that's the next step for a lot of these products is, is try, just trying to figure those things out. And I think some of the companies that produce them, I don't think I'm stepping outside the box here and saying that they're, they're struggling with that too. Yeah. Because, because they, they need to see wins consistently. Yeah. Um, I, mean, so. I think that that's kind of what the future really entails with a lot of these products. It's, you know, they're spending a lot of time trying to find these specific products that really fit a niche market. And that's what's going to happen is that we won't have these blanket products where it goes across all the U.S. or all yeah. the world. It's it's going to be very specific right. which farmer is going to pick up this tool and use it. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I think that's exactly. And I think so. I think that kind of play rolls into some of the other products that we're testing that is new that we're testing this year. And it's, it is what we would call true biostimulants. So the class that we were just talking about, it's one of those things, are they biologicals? Are they biostimulants? You know, what are they? But then testing true biostimulants. So true plant growth regulators, PGRs, you know, those kind of things, you know, naturally occurring compounds that we are already seeing within the plant, you know, extracting those out and then utilizing them to produce growth. That is also a huge growing market. So the biostimulants, the actual true PGR, if that's what you want to call them, biostimulant, that piece too. And so we're doing a lot of testing on those as well, which are probably more in general, a better place for a more of a blanket type yes. product. Something like we're seeing with our Gold Advantage Trend B products um, from, we know and we have data that if you put that in with our fungicide applications, you're most consistently going to see an increase from plant health, but also yield with that kind of product. I feel like with PGRs, there's going to be more of a blanket increase on that. And so just, we're doing a lot of testing on those as well this year. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. What? Well, yeah, that's cool. I, yeah. I think there's, there's just so much background to a lot of these biologicals and yeah, I feel like we've, everybody's kind of dove off the cliff in the past couple of years. So I think all that's pretty important stuff to be looking. Anything else that kind of pops this year that, Stuff you guys have seen out there that um, that you want to share anything about? I mean, I think that it's still going to be interesting to see what the yields come out on the sixty-inch corn. With, I mean, it. it yeah, you just never know with yeah with stuff. So that, we just in trying to we try to expose our staff to almost every piece of agronomy that we possibly can. I I feel like that's our competitive one of our competitive edges in in our environment is that uh, just exposure and training of our staff. I don't think you're going to have a staff member from, from any, any company that's, that's at, that has been exposed to as much background as, as our folks have. And so as for part of that, we talk a lot about, you know, we mentioned management. Um, part of that is soil management, those kind of things. And so what we've, <laughs> we did this year is, you know, um, somewhat as a visual, but it has kind of turned into something that we're like, huh, I wonder how much that'll actually yield in the fact that we, we planted some skip row corn, um, in one of our plots. And, um, so bit a row every 60 inches and then did a cover crop mix down the middle of those. Um, it actually looks pretty good. 
It's and pretty so, neat. It's pretty neat. It looks pretty good. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of forage out there um, if you're a, a livestock producer, and so I think it'll be kind of it'll be interesting to number one see what the corn yields, and number two see what kind of it's a warm season um, cover crop mix that we planted. So it'll also be kind of interesting to take a look at it just after harvest to see it's like okay if you actually did this and harvested this and then turned some cows in you know, how much forage is actually out there and available the day after you combine. Cause that's, you know, in reality with, with cattle, the first day that you could utilize it. Um, but, but it's interesting. It's, it's eye catching. And again, we're, we're just trying to expose our staff and, and take a look at things that, um, that we think might work for whatever subset of producers that are out there. So, but yeah, I think it's, it's cool. So we doubled the population on the, essentially doubled the population on the remaining rows that we're planting. Um, so we're still looking at, you know, we still basically planted at 27 to 28,000 plants per acre. Um, and anyway, we'll, we'll see. And we probably should have done some ear counts on those too, but just to do some yield checks, but it'll be interesting to run the combine through there and, yeah. and see what we've got. I think the only other thing that is going to be interesting, interesting from is, is this, this will be a good year to see, you know, we talk about fungicides from two folds, right? Most of our fungi, we're talking about two folds from disease management, but also the plant health aspect. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a good year to see what are fungicides bringing from just the plant health yep. aspect. Cause it, at least in our sites, it's a, it was a dry year. So mm -hmm. disease is very minimal. Correct. We, we don't have Southern rust unless for some reason it somehow blows up. If it's, yep. you know, at this last moment, we don't have Southern rust. We have very little disease within our canopy especially on the corn and on the soybeans at both of those sites. So we're going to be able to see, you know, all yeah. these fun in these fungicide studies, the plant health benefit from them. Right. Instead of just the disease management right. piece. Just uh, a very strong uh, difference from last year, uh, yep. year over year in that aspect. Exactly. So yeah. really kind of bringing in that environmental aspect again, that yep. we're always fighting as, as producers and agronomists. Yep. So, yeah, for sure. Cool. Anything else, gentlemen? I don't think so. I don't think so. All right. Garrett, thanks for taking the time to yep. jump on here and record this. I'm sure this will not be the last time that um, we harass you and make you come in and give us a little update on what's going on out there. Um, it's always fun to, to kick it around anyway. So, yeah. but thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, Garrett. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.